0: Welcome to Catatonia, a cultural podcast about Puerto Rico, trauma, and unscrewing ourselves at a post-Hurricane shock. My name is Huáscar Robles, recording from Harlem, New York. Welcome to another episode of Catatonia. Today is May 2nd. 2018, a day after the national strike. I'm um, recording here from Harlem, New York. Um, thank you very much for the support of this of this space of dialogue. Um, I wanted to um, let you know that I just came back from Puerto Rico. I was in Puerto Rico for my grandmother's funeral, and it was the first time um, in a long time, and clearly the first time after the hurricane. Um, I It was a very... Um, intense uh, trip. I felt like I was more with my family and less with the island, so I don't have any stories about what it feels like or what it felt like to be back in Puerto Rico and that hurts me a little bit because I wanted to be in touch with the island. I wanted to, to survey and talk and interview and sometimes you have to stop being a reporter and you have to just be a son and be a grandson and maybe a grandson for the last time. So, um, a few things before we continue with the episode, I wanted to um, uh, talk about uh, the Unpayable Debt Conference that I was part of with a lot of incredible and talented uh, scholars and artists. Uh, Francis Montaner, the director of the Center for Race and Ethnicity at Columbia University, organized his second um, a yearly uh, Unpayable Debt Conference, and on the first day, uh, it opened. I think it was um, Thursday, April nineteen. It opened with um, an exhibit called Puerto Rico Underwater, um, utilizing the photos from Adal Maldonado, Sarabel Santos, Victor Vasquez, um, my brother Omar Robles, and and myself, um, and those that uh, visual. Um, narrative became the opening to the, uh, to, the to the conference. Um, we visited New York one. We spoke with NPR. We're all trying to discuss what is happening in Puerto Rico. Um, and I think you know, we're filtering through the through the correct uh, channels to talk about what's happening in Puerto Rico. And I also believe that we're doing our best to discuss the the debt and the situation on the island in the, the best way possible. So we, instead of creating animosity, we create unity, as uh, idealistic as that sounds. I also want to thank um, the ALA review of books. I was so surprised when I saw my name and Katatonia's name on a, on a tweet. I, I'm trying to build a Twitter account, and I have very few followers. Um, and I saw that it was a mention, and I looked it up, and when I opened it, there was this beautiful uh, pink and blue uh, image of the, um, the logo of Catatonia with a review uh, uh two sentences. And I thought, you know how thoughtful that this you know, great outfit uh, took the time to, to talk about me, but I didn't see a link. When I looked at the link, there was an entire review by by a writer called Nestor David Pastor and the review uh, really moved me because it, it the person you know this writer really took the time to go through each and every episode and deconstruct it and um to see that uh, people are helping spread the word um, Catatonia, it's not the only space for dialogue out there there's there are many so I'm just hoping that people are looking for several optics and several um perspectives in puerto rico and because this ties up with the few things that i want to discuss today especially the um the the national strike Um, we'll discuss all of this when we come back The first thing I wanted to discuss was the strike. The, um, the strike, um, in context, it's a manifestation uh, from um, a lot of different members from society, uh, private, public sector, uh, young, old, rich, and poor got together to protest this, the austerity measures that... Are threatening uh, Puerto Rican families. You know whether or not you believe that that's the right measure. We can discuss that later, and you and you know we'll have the right to opine. But there are measures, and people are worried, and that's why they're on the streets. Um, It comes after the year of the first strikes, which were rather violent, and it comes after a month after a national blackout, uh, where the entire island was um, again without electricity. And it comes um, right at the heels of another set of um, over a hundred uh, over a hundred million dollars worth of uh, austerity measures from the fiscal board. So people are clearly scared and that's where they're out protesting. Um, to be fair, last year there were very violent acts in which uh, certain protesters through threw uh, Molotov cocktails at banks or certain banking institutions. Clearly, uh, the police or any kind of uh, institution with that kind of power wanted to avoid that from happening. Um, so this year, the protest felt a lot more tense, at least through the optics of social media and media. Um, but I want to take a second to talk about that precisely. Images, images. Susan Sontag used to say that they help us exercise the pain of having not lived that pain, right? So we look at images and we feel the pain that the protesters feel or we feel the pain that the cops feel, um, whatever side you're on. And you consume that trauma and you exercise the guilt from not having lived it. Um so we're drawn to it because we need to consume this because it helps us feel better. My concern is this: Puerto Rico's surveillance history um known as the carpetas or the carpeteo was the kind of surveillance work that took the information from individuals and their families that they uh, had views against the government or against the United States, and he gathered them in one physical uh, carpeta or a folder, and then you know kept that information to use it against them. Uh, many anthropologists have discussed this, but you don't have to be an anthropologist to understand that in an, in an island like Puerto Rico, where everybody knows one another, um, the carpetas were the biggest cuco the, the scariest you know boogie monster or boogeyman why because once you were in a carpeta your livelihood was put in jeopardy and you didn't know if you have a job uh, if you were if that was shared with with your employer so the carpetas were the cuco and nobody wanted to it, it effectively along with the the Ley de la mordaza Uh, a law that prohibited people from talking or manifesting against the government, uh, scared people away from manifesting against in what they perceive to be injustice. Now that we have such an economic distress island, people are kind of ignoring this because they want to show their discontent. And they they go on the streets they manifest and then they become part of this entire slew of images and my fear is that facebook social social media the regular media are placing the entire pro- te- protesting field on the same level they're not families they're not teachers they're not judges or 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 lawyers or doctors they are just protesters And those people labeled and immortalized in photos like this could become the next carpeteo. People are risking the chance of being labeled as one thing when they are much more than that. And what I mean by that is there are families there. There are peaceful protesters. There are all sorts of folks out there. Listen, I'm not going to pretend that there aren't very violent people on both sides of the spectrum, but to put everyone in one box, it's another form of carpeteo. And I really think that, uh, hope that the, the media out there are, are looking at this and trying to, to be fair in its reporting. My suggestion when absorbing and consuming news and consuming images of the protest of any kind of manifestation is to listen to the silences. Don't just get stuck on that image of a policeman with the knee to a protester's neck. Don't just get stuck on the photo of the protester throwing a can or an, something at a policeman. Don't get stuck. Just don't get stuck, just look, consume, analyze. This is a time for us to have some media literacy and the only way to achieve that is by pausing. It's with the silences and that's what this episode is about. It's about what we learn in the silences. Um, when we come back, I wanna talk about my, my grandmother's funeral and about the silences that I experienced there. I landed in Puerto Rico last Thursday Went straight to my dad's house. Went straight to sleep, and the next day we began the preparations for the uh, for the velatorio, the viewing of the body. I went into the into the chapel, and it was about seven o'clock at night, and you know my family was there. My stepsister was a teenager now, and it's uh, coping in her own way, um, sort of trying to look through the distance of, of the, of the phone, um, my stepmom, who was a great ally to my grandmother, um, my brother was there, and, um, uh, my sister also was there with her family, and my mom was there, my mom actually wanted to come, so I bought a ticket for her to come say goodbye, my, my, both my mom and my grandmother, um uh, were teachers at some point and they understood the value of 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 education Um, but they actually raised me together for a very small period of time when we were living in Spain in in Galicia back in um, I don't know 1970 75 Um, so my mom wanted to say her goodbye and of course my dad my dad took care of my grandmother for 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 a very long period of time he took care of her he got people to to feed her, to bathe her, but he was always there. Um, there was a camera in the house, so if he noticed something weird he would get up in the middle of the night and drive to my mom to my grandmother's house and he was always there. And the way that he's taking care of her mom makes me feel the way that I'm taking care of my mom. And um, I look at him, I, I know all the pain that he felt, you know, seeing her Slowly, very slowly, leave this earth, but she didn't leave the earth in vain. She really left a legacy of a you know, wealth of knowledge and when I was eight years old, I went to her house in a part of Kawas, my hometown called Villa del rey um and I sat on on one of her um chairs the covers of the chair, she'd sewed herself, She's, she sewed everything, you know, her T-shirts, her, her, her clothing, she lived through austerity, because she had to take care of so many people, so she didn't have a lot, and she had a Singer sewing machine with which she, she made everything. <laughs> um, and I told her, you know, Abuela, Grandma, I want to be an actor, and I want to be a singer, and I want to be a journalist. Um, it was about three o'clock, and a a the golondrinas, which are you know the swallows, those beautiful birds that make this very like chirpy noises. Um, those birds lived in my grandparents uh garage i don't know how they got there and went but they have all these nests all over the garage so they just fly and they just started doing this swirling in the sky and they would come back and they would leave and i always saw it as the most natural thing but i've never seen anything in my life like that there were there were birds in that house that would come in and out and that was her home so as those birds started annoying hell out of me (laughs) she said listen you know if you aim for too much you'll achieve too little and you know she said it without any hesitation which kind of like you know crush my dreams grandma thank you um but she just wanted me to learn the truth you know she lived with the truth um even though she was stoic she could always hug you and love you um and tell you what you did right, when you did something right. Many, many years after that, I returned to that same balcony um, on an afternoon. The Swallows stopped visiting. I don't know when the, the Golondrinas stopped nesting there, but it was quiet. There were fewer people in the house. And she pulled out this folder it's a white folder with cutouts of some of the columns that I've written for a for a local paper, in Nuevo Día. And um, she didn't pull them out to tell me, you know, what a great work I was doing. She actually corrected me, <laughs> and she told me some of the things that I should avoid <laughs> as a writer. Um, and that that balcony and her. Her living room had become a museum of all the things that we have done: photos, articles, articles of my brother, who's also, you know, who's, who is a very, very successful photographer. Photos of grandkids that stopped calling. She had an entire museum of all of us. She was so proud, and I would never forget that she had this huge painting of a sunflower, um, which was this sort of reflection of her, always looking at the sun, even when there isn't any sun. And um, I guess I, I Abuela, we're always read the news, you know, whether it was like the, the crappiest um little um, uh, magazines about telenovelas or the the serious papers of record, she consumed news. And I'm sure that when she started listening to the word crisis over and over, she she probably laughed because she's, she doesn't remember any other way of living if it wasn't in austerity, you know? Um, she used to be a teacher in a chanty town for 27 years. She had kids who were mistreated, who were abused with with empty stomachs, and she would fix their, their clothing, and she would fix their shoes so they could make the trip back to that school so they could listen to the truth. And... Um, She raised three children during the Depression, and she would use her sewing machine to supplement the salary of her husband, who also had several jobs at the same time. And Abuela lost someone very important in her life, which I'm not in the livery to discuss. That person was very important to her. And she looked at death in the eye, and she said, crisis? what crisis and with that hole in her heart that person shaped hole in her heart she ran that house like a business and she made that business work my dad is a very very successful human being not because he of his profession but because of his altruism my dad has worked and helped so many people that, that have come to me and said, You know, your dad treated me with acupuncture and never once charged me. And now I'm alive because of him. That's what my grandmother taught him. Um, and that's what I want to share with you. next day and the funeral, you're never prepared to put anybody on the ground. You're never prepared to see that. You know, the pastor um, said that we should, you know, he used an analogy that you should look at Abuela's body as, you know, as a computer. But, you know, the memory and the software is still alive and kicking, but the machine is just, it's just, it's just gone. You know, it doesn't matter if you, how you look at it, it's you're still putting your your that, that beautiful body in the ground and you're saying goodbye. It doesn't nothing prepares you for that. So the next day we actually put her. Um, on the ground and I, I uh, my dad again asked me to say a few words. And all I could say is that. Abuela would have fought. Abuela, abuela would have fought for her for her country <laughs> abuela wouldn't have stayed still um, but the most beautiful moment was the silences afterwards I actually pulled out my recorder and I wanted to record those seconds of silence while she was she was feeling late to And it was the most beautiful silence because nobody was arguing, everybody was grieving beautifully in unison, and it was beautiful to see that beautiful woman. Go back to where she came from. Especially because what I'm doing today, I owe it partly to her and what she taught me. Thank you, Grandma. Thank you, Abuela. Thank you for teaching me how to listen and how to analyze and how to not just take things at face value, because now I can look at the images that I see every day and not come to snap decisions, not to side with one side or the other, but to look at all views. Because of you, I'm a, I'm a journalist. That wisdom um, has not been forgotten, Abuela, and thank you for teaching me that. Guys, I'm so sorry, like I see it feels like every other episode. I'm just like bursting out crying. But, you know, I'm not anything if I cannot just show you who I really am. Because the pain that I feel now for one human being. Puerto Rico is feeling for a lot of their family members who have passed because of the hurricane, who have passed in the middle of crisis. I'm not the only one. Everybody's out there saying goodbye to something or someone. But what we saw at the national strike is they're not saying goodbye to hope. Um, so, thank you everyone for uh, listening to this episode. Thank you for putting up with my crying again. Um, uh, again, thank you to all the people that make Catatonia possible. Um, for the music by Adrian Bridges, for the assistance by Il- Ilian Perez and Joaquín Cardoso, um, to my wonderful family that helped me through this uh, through this ordeal, and to Abuela, thank you, Abuela. Um, you gave me the the right perspective to look at things in the right way and to express them way. And I hope that somehow you become part of that collective conscience that the pastor was talking about and come and correct me when I start making mistakes again. Um, I'll see you all in the next episode.